Welcome to the ODA Magazine podcast series. We at ODA wanted to give you the opportunity to dive even deeper into the worlds of the people we get to spend time with. By creating podcasts featuring conversations with creatives and entrepreneurs in all different areas of artistry. From designers, curators, and actors, to philanthropists, models, singers, and photographers. The one through line for each of the podcasts in this series is that they highlight the work of individuals from around the world who participate in and nourish culture and the conversations they inspire. Our guests discuss how they see the future, hopefully one filled with diversity, equality, understanding, and of course, passion. ODA is a platform where self-expression, imagination, and dreams are brought to the next level and shared with those looking to be inspired. Harvey Mason Jr. has had a pretty wild ride as the interim CEO and president of the Recording Academy. He was tapped for the top job just days before the Grammys took place in January 2020. And then he spent the rest of the year helping musicians make it through the pandemic via the Academy's Music Cares Initiative, responding to the social justice movement by launching the Black Music Collective Project, and more recently he made the tough call to push back the 2021 Grammy show to March 14th in reaction to the COVID-19 conditions in California. Music is Mason's lifeblood, and he is on a mission with the nonprofit Recording Academy to uplevel the industry as it faces the new normal. Okay, so uh, I want to start off uh, going all the way back to the beginning because when I was researching you, it was so wonderful to discover what a, a history you have with music. It's just been infused in your life since birth almost. Can you talk about the impact that has had it when you were a child growing up music in your life? Of course, yeah, music has always been a part of my life. My parents were both musicians. My dad was a drummer. My mom, if you can believe this, was a trombone player. And uh, they met in college and I was born. And so I was always around music. I was always around musicians. My dad ended up being a session musician for a lot of years and was playing with, you know, kind of the who's who's of the music industry from pop and R&B and jazz and even country western. So I was around a lot of amazing artists from a really early age. I started taking piano lessons. We always had instruments in our house. But piano drums, uh, you know, production drum machines and sequencers and keyboards. So I kind of just grew up making music and thinking that was the way of life and uh, never really knowing how lucky I was to be around such a high quality of musician and artists and producers and going with my dad to see Quincy Jones and uh, watching them work on projects together. I just, I mean, it was in my, in my DNA, in my bloodstream. So I was very, very lucky. And then you went on, I mean, as you said, it kind of was like there was, you didn't know anything else that it was, you thought the whole world was fabulous like this. So talk to me <laughs> about, <laughs> lucky you, talk to me about then your experience, you know, as a, um, you know, as a, as a producer and a songwriter, because you've worked with pretty much all of the biggies. And, and so tell me how that transitioned from loving it as a child as into it becoming, you know, your life's work. Well, I didn't know it was going to be my life's work. You know, I was an athlete in college. I wanted to play basketball and I was having dreams of being in the NBA, but then suffered an injury that kind of made me refocus. And I was always playing piano and I'd taken piano lessons. I was always writing music in my dorm room and uh, using it as kind of an outlet for just things I wanted to talk about or emotions that I was having. And then when I ended my basketball career, I started to refocus and I started really writing songs that 
uh, it took some time, but people started liking them and listening to them. I was driving back and forth to LA and pitching my material to labels and artists and sneaking backstage at concerts and, you know, all the normal stories you hear from young people trying to break in. Uh, and people started liking the music. So I've, I've been very fortunate. I, I worked extremely hard, so I don't attribute it to luck, but I've been very fortunate to work with some amazing artists, great talent, some of my idols, you know, and having the opportunity to work with a Michael Jackson or an Aretha Franklin or people like that, where when they start singing or Whitney Houston, you hear the vocal and they're singing your song in your studio and you're like, oh my gosh, where am I? How is this even possible? And then the opportunity to work with a lot of up and coming artists that developed and turned into, you know, legends. So starting with like a Chris Brown when he was 14 years old or other artists at a really, really young age where you, you don't know if they're going to be amazing, but you know, you, you sent something in their talent and their voice and in their story and you're attracted to them as a, as a musician or as a producer and you start that journey together and it turns into something like you can't believe. So I've been on both sides of that. I've been very lucky, very fortunate and uh, always humbled to work with so many amazing talents. Yeah, I was going to ask you what, you know, what was your, your top memory, but I think it would be like choosing between children. I mean, we were describing all the different people you work with, so I'm not even going to ask that. Um, I want to jump in now to your career um, at the Grammys, because I know that originally the, the 2021 show was going to be in January, and then you pushed it to March because of the COVID situation, of course. It still looks like things are not fantastic for March. Um, what are you thinking as far as, you know, adjusting for the COVID times we live in for the, the actual show itself? I don't foresee any more adjustments. And I, we knew that March was not going to be a window where we were going to be free of COVID or everybody was going to have the vaccine. But what we were concerned about in January was the overloaded system, the healthcare system, the hospital beds, the ICU and the doctors and the first responders. We didn't want to put in any additional tax on, on those uh, people in those facilities. So we postponed just knowing that we're still going to be in COVID. We'll still have issues. We'll still have to take certain precautions, but we, we are not adding to the, the craziness of the LA situation. We were really hitting a peak and we saw that that was coming at the end of January. So our hope is March 14th stands and holds. We still won't have an audience. We'll still have very strict uh, COVID protocols. We wanna make sure our artist community is safe. We wanna make sure our consumers and fans are safe and not put in a position where they could potentially get sick. Uh, but we are planning on continuing with that date. We have a, an incredible show, maybe one of our best shows, an amazing lineup of artists from so many different genres, from so many different areas. Uh, I'm just, I'm really looking forward to it. I just wish we could have all of our 13,000, 14,000 fans in the building. Mm -hmm. But I also think it's important for us to be uh, taking the time to come together around music. And that's one of the things that music does so well. In times like this, where we're all over the place and we're nervous and we're upset and we're uneasy and uncomfortable sometimes music can be that medicine or that that unifying force so my hope is that and maybe it's overly ambitious but my hope is that the show can serve as something to bring people together and something to soothe a little bit and maybe bring some good energy good feeling to people when we've had so many hard times kind of back to back to back no, I mean, I think that you always should be dreaming big. Um, I also wanted to know when well, you mentioned it kind of there at the end, how music kind of brings people together. And I wanted to know you personally, what has been the music that's kind of, you know, kept you sane during this last year? Has there been anything on like constant loop at your house or, at, you know, on your phone? Not any one particular artist or song, but music has absolutely been on constant loop. You know, I have 
speakers in all rooms of the house because I, I just love music that much and it does affect me and influence me like that. And my mood and my energy is so impacted by what I'm listening to. Uh, I tend to be a pretty optimistic and kind of upbeat person. So a lot of my music is, is not that, you know, I, I have enough energy, so I don't need the music to lift me, but I do love the calming feeling and the, the, the calming sensation that you can get from the right song, uh, the, the relaxing energy that comes with the right piece of music, uh, and just the emotional kind of depth to certain music that I, I listen to that I like and really appreciate means a lot to me. Uh, I also have kids, so they're playing music that they love or they're introducing me or sending me, you know, my son just sent me a link to some new music. He said, yeah, you got to work out to this tomorrow. And I worked out to it and it's, you know, great new music. So music is a constant in my life and everything I'm doing. Plus I'm also in the studio every day still, in addition to doing the academy work, I'm still writing, creating, recording, working with artists, working with other talented collaborators. So it's kind of crazy how nonstop music is in, in my, in my life and in my head. Yeah. I can't even imagine you, you basically, your life is a, is a living, breathing soundtrack. Um, I, right. I, <laughs> I do want to circle back around to you because the last Grammys was in the before times. I think it was one of maybe the last big, you know, award shows that we had. What have you learned from all of the, you know, um, growing pains of all of the other award shows that have happened in the interim between your last one and, and the next one? Like, what are the things that you really pulled out that you thought worked and, and want to, you know, configure to what you want to do with the, the Grammys? Well, more than anything, I really sympathize with anybody trying to do a production during COVID. It's hard. It is, it's work. It's unlike anything that's ever been done before. So there's things that you're, you're figuring out on the fly and on the go. So watching some of the other shows has been helpful. So many people have done really incredible things, some really entertaining and exciting pieces of, of content that uh, I couldn't imagine how they did it, but over time we're figuring it out. Uh, for us at the Academy, we want to do something different. We want to do something that people have not seen on TV during COVID. And I think we have some creative that supports that and will be exciting and new and different. Uh, and it does take into consideration everything that's happened before, all the other shows. And we did learn and we did listen. We saw some things that um, we probably don't want to do because they've been done a lot. And we've seen some things that, oh, that's a good idea. Let's take a little bit of that. And uh, I think we all tend to do that when you're going through times like this is looking and learning uh, and hopefully getting value from other people's experiences and using that to your advantage. So hopefully we've done that. I've always said, if you're not coming out of this crisis, uh, doing something different, then I don't think you utilize the time. You know, this is the chance for all of us individually and as organizations to be really strategic, to be really thoughtful, take some time to, to back up and look and see the view differently, a different perspective. Uh, so hopefully we've been able to do that as an organization. I've tried to do that as a, as a, as a human and as a person. Uh, and I think we've done that with our show. So hopefully there'll be some exciting new, uh, new things to look at. And, and people. I mean, will when we're talking about new, we, we can't, you know, go past the fact that it's been 40 years that Ken was, you know, running the show and, and creating it. And now you've got, of course, you've got Ben Wilson stepping in and he's new. You came on board, I think a few days before the, the last Grammys. So, you know, two, you know, major pillars of the Grammys, you know, this is their first Grammys. So tell me a little bit about what that's been like for both of you. It's been great. And I'm kind of bringing fresh energy and fresh eyes to everything. Uh, my successor was here for 17 years. Well, then we had someone else for a short period of time, but the CEO previous to that was 17 years and, and yeah. involved in a lot of shows. Ken Ehrlich had done 40 shows in a row. So now with Ben Winston at the helm and myself as the president CEO, 
it's, diff it's definitely a different energy. It's a different outlook. It's a different perspective. The tone has changed con considerably. Um, I think it's been a lot of fun. It's been a great challenge and working with somebody like Ben, you know, he's, he's different in the sense that he also is very, very uh, team oriented, which I love because I come from sports. So he has five or six other co-producers that work along with him. And then on our side, we have, you know, a head of production, a COO and other people involved from the Academy side. So it's really like a, a cool group of people coming together to build this show which I love, that's the way I, I like to work is, is in a collaboration. That's how, how I made all my, my music and records is working with other writers and collaborators. So it's been fun, it's a challenge, it's, it's, a, it's a science project trying to figure out how are we gonna get the artists, how are we gonna shoot it, how are we gonna make it look great and, and consider all the COVID stuff that we're dealing with. So it's been a, a great challenge. Well, I do want to commend you for for one thing. It's that you know when one of the things that have really come up during the this last year, it's been this that the you know the awareness about inclusivity and equity and um, uh, and diversity. And I have to say that the names that were announced as the nominees this year was you know I actually went on and listened to all of the half of them I hadn't heard before. So I went on and listened to the different. Um, songs and was really impressed by the diversity in the nominees. Can you talk to me a little bit about the thinking behind that and, and the process behind that and what you felt when you saw those names come up as, as a selection? I'm always nervous when the names come up, you know, and now more so than ever as chair and president, because I think people look at me like I have uh, an effect on the names, which I of course don't. So I was initially nervous, but I was also pleased with a lot of the diversity and a lot of the different genres of music that were represented in especially the big four categories, um, a lot of ethnicity, uh, ethnicity and a lot of uh, gender balance and parity that I thought sometimes in years we've missed maybe. Uh, and as I said, a lot of different genres were represented. So that made me happy. I still think we have work to do as an academy and as an organization to make sure we're completely diverse and inclusive and, you know, across the board. <clears throat> we've been working really hard on our membership. And that's really what it comes down to. So it's not like we decide to be more diverse this year or we decide who our nominees or winners are gonna be. It's really the voting body that decides uh, who's gonna end up getting the nomination or the win. And this year, I think the, the voting body did a really, really respectable job. I think we've started to do some of the work that it takes to evolve our voting membership group. It's about almost 12,000 people that vote. It's peer-to-peer -peer award, as you know. So music professionals are voting on these awards. It's not fans, it's not popularity, it's not chart position. It's the, the music professionals saying, what do I think is the best record? And it's subjective. It's hard to judge quality when it comes to art, right? You're like, I don't know, I think I like this one better. But making sure our membership is relevant, making sure our membership is completely diverse and experienced in different genres of music is really important for us and for the Academy. So that's something we've been working really hard on. Also making sure we're requalifying voters so they're not staying on as voters for 30, 40, 50 years when maybe they don't know as much about certain genres of music as they did when they first came into the Academy. So those are things that we work on. A lot of new initiatives have been put into place in the last 12 months. They'll start taking effect and having an impact on our, our awards and our nominations, I think, in the next few years. So very excited and proud about some of that work as well. Yeah, because I know that as much as there were di diversity within the, the final nominees, there was some kind of, you know, backlash or or people up in arms about some of the transparency over the way, um, you know, the the choices were made. I know that the weekend had a bit of a drama and, a, you know, and a conniption fit about not being nominated. So in terms of that transparency or takeaways from that, you know, 
what what is your thinking as far as moving forward and how to be more transparent in the way um, the nomination process happens? Well, it's an interesting topic that you bring up transparency. We've always been very transparent about our process. The thing that people get a little bit hung up on is what they call the secret committees, which are not secret. They're part of our process. They're on our website. We talk about them outwardly and, and there's a very justifiable reason that we have them. And the committees take what the initial voting public votes on. They take, you know, sometimes it can be four or 5,000 submissions for a certain category. The voting public of the 12,000 voters voted down to the top 20. The committees look at the top 20 to make sure they get the nominations right. And the, the committees are, are led by industry leaders in those different genres. So R&B will have a specific committee reviewing just R&B. Rap will have a committee just reviewing rap, same for country, rock. And so those committees are responsible for making sure that the nominees represent not only just the voting body that voted for them, but also what they feel as experts represent those genres properly in the words of trying to pick excellence. And again, it's hard to be, uh, it's a subjective selection. You're, you're trying to grade art. Those committees form the nominations. Those nominations then go out to the voting body. So the voting body always determines the first group that comes in. They also always determine the winners. Uh, so there's no lack of transparency. What the problem is, is we don't announce who's on those committees because we don't want them facing pressure or getting solicited or getting threats if they don't get the nominations right, which is ultimately what happens. You know, when some of this stuff goes down, uh, people at the academy get you know, emails and phone calls and instant message, direct messages threatening their lives. And, you know, fans of these artists are very serious and they're passionate, which I love about fans, but that's why we don't uh, promote who are on these committees. Having said that, we are also making some drastic changes to our voting process. We started last year, we made some, removing some of the conflict of interest. This year we're making some more. And I think next year's voting process will probably look a little different than it does this year, but we do that every year. We've always reviewed our processes. We've always uh, adjusted as per our members. The members are the ones who drive this process. The members are the ones who set this process up. I didn't set it up. The academy doesn't build it. The members say, this is what we think we want for our voting process and we institute it. So I'm sure there'll be some changes. We look at it every year. Uh, but as far as people that don't get nominations, it's disappointing for me. You know, I'm an artist, I'm myself, I'm a creator, I'm a songwriter, producer. I know what it feels like to pour your heart and soul into your art and then have it not recognized. It's frustrating. So I always wanna make sure that we're doing the best we can to recognize uh, the artist. But, Sometimes we don't, we don't nail it. Hmm. I mean, yeah, not everybody's going to be happy all of the time. That's for sure. I, I want to come back to what it was like for you last January, because it was kind of a very sudden arrival of, you know, at, at you as, as the, the president, as the, the top, top person at the, at the Academy, sorry, at the Grammys. Um, at the, can you tell me what that experience was like? Kind of like, you know, really all of a sudden having to step into those shoes and, you know, kind of the whiplash of it all. Yeah, it's hard to describe a little bit, but I did enter into the job as chairman. I was elected as chair and I ran my you know whole platform was really based on, on change and improvement and looking at everything we did as an academy. I knew the great work we did at Music Cares and all the money that we were giving back into the music community. I knew the uh, really important and powerful work we were doing on advocacy and, and fighting for legislation and trying to protect music creators' rights and make sure we were able to monetize our art. I knew the work we were doing through the museum and education and preserving music. 
but I also felt like we could be more relevant. We could be more diverse. We could be more inclusive. We could be more equitable to different genres and different constituencies. So I ran on that platform. And so when, when they asked me to step in as president and CEO, I saw it as an opportunity. I saw it as a chance for me to continue to do the work I wanted to do as chair. I felt maybe I would have some additional reach and some more ability to really make the changes that our board voted me in to do. Uh, and I felt strongly that we had a good opportunity with me being a real creator and an art, you know, someone who made some of this art, I could really understand the perspective of our partners, which are our members and our creators. And so I, I was excited. I, I was pretty sad and disappointed by the way that it happened and the timing and being that close to the show. I didn't want to detract or uh, remove any of the focus on the people that deserved to be celebrated during our show. So I was disappointed in the timing, but uh, I was happy to, to step in and I just saw it as a true opportunity to try and really make some, some needed change. Yeah, and I think it's already starting to reflect it in the, again, the nominees this this year. And you mentioned earlier Music Cares, and I know you have another initiative, the, the Black Music Collective. Can you talk about those two initiatives and why they're so important to you and why you, you think that that needs to be part of what your, your uh, organization does? Sure, I'll start with Music Cares because Music Cares has been around for quite a while now and they've been doing amazing work year after year after year. But this year and particularly during COVID, it's been incredible what they've been able to do. And Music Cares is really, it's the safety net for music people and music professionals in the community. It's the organization that steps in when someone needs help, when they can't pay their rent or they've lost a, a gig or they, they run out of food or they need medical attention or there's an addiction issue. Music Cares has been established to really look out for our music professionals and people in our music family. And they've done that impeccably well for so many years. But during COVID, there was a huge crisis, a huge demand for service and for assistance. So Music Cares really went above and beyond and reached into the music community in conjunction with Steve Boom, who's the chair of Music Cares board. He and I reached out to our partners at the labels and the streamers and publishing companies, PROs, everyone in the industry and said, we've got to build something to help our community. So we've raised almost $30 million now and we've serviced over 22,000 people who needed help uh, with that money. The money that comes in, it doesn't get, uh, there's no taxing of it or, or using it for administration. That money comes in, goes out dollar for dollar into the music community. So very, very proud of, of Music Cares and the work that it's done uh, in the last 12 months. And we'll continue to do over the next um, year, I'm sure, as we see how this COVID crisis unwinds. You know, music people were really some of the first people to be out of work. And I think we'll be some of the last to come back. So the crisis is far from over. So Music Cares is playing an important role there. As far as the BMC is concerned, it stands for the Black Music Collective. And it was formed in a time when the Academy realized that we were not able to understand all the issues around Black music and Black music creators and we needed help and we needed to be able to rely on people who were on the ground and in the studios and on the road and really in that community that could advise us and could tell us what's happening, what do we need to be doing better, how can we improve. So the Black Music Collective was formed. It's the first organization like that for the Academy in the history of our organization. 62 years, we've never really built something like that. We have a producers and engineers wing that works similarly to the BMC in the sense that they advise us on issues that are confronting the producers and engineers. But the BMC is talking directly to us, to the leadership, to the board, to our other members and saying, hey, this is what's important for us. This is These are some of the issues that we're having. 
we need the academy to change this, or we need the academy to look at that. And so the BMC has been incredibly helpful. It's early stages for the BMC. It's only been a few months, but we've started some really exciting initiatives, uh, some real transformative and long lasting change is gonna come out of our relationship with this organization. And I'm really pleased at the work we're doing there. That's fantastic. Um, a couple of last little questions here. One is I was, you know, researching the, to do this interview and I was kind of shocked by this stat that I heard about the music industry that like less than 1% of artists make it to main, make it to mainstream and that, you know, the success rate is like one in over two, uh, 2000 or 2200 people to actually make it somewhat in the, in this industry. Can you talk to me? Like, tell me what kind of advice you give somebody who wants to work in this industry where it's such a, a small sliver that make it and are successful. I didn't know exactly those were the stats, but I can tell you this, that the majority of our members at the Academy are working class musicians, working people that are using music and playing music or writing music to earn a decent living. A lot of people think of the Academy and its members as, you know, the rock stars or the rap stars or the pop stars flying on jets and driving you know, Mercedes and Rolls Royces, but it's a very small percentage of our people are doing that. And, you know, kudos to them and congratulations. And I encourage and support them for sure. But the majority of our members are just trying to make music and doing what they love and doing what they appreciate uh, and make a, a fair living for that. So uh, my advice to new artists and new creators coming into the industry is do it for the right reasons. And that is because you love it and because you're passionate about it and because you can't survive doing anything else. You would not want to wake up and do another job because if there's something else you like a little bit, or there's something you think might be cool to pursue, you should do that because the music industry is hard. It's difficult. It's competitive. Um, and there's so many people that want to do it. It's a lot like trying to be in the NFL or the NBA. You know, there's every kid in high school plays basketball and wants to be in the NBA. Well, now with music, everybody has a laptop. Everybody wants to make a track. Everyone wants to sing. Very competitive. So you have to be eat, sleep, drink, breathe music if you want to be in this industry. It's not a casual industry that you can say, I think I'll try that for a little while. And I see that from the new artists that come in and new producers or songwriters all the way up to the top the, the top echelon of, of celebrity iconic artists, their road has been tough. It's been rocky. That's a full journey. It's not an overnight thing. So my advice again is to be passionate, be prepared for a long haul, uh, be ready to sacrifice and to, to do anything for your art. And if you live that way and you approach it that way, uh, I think you'll find success, but that's just my personal opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. No, I think that that's exactly the right advice to be giving. Um, so last, last question, I wanted to know, um, what are you looking forward to doing first once we're all able to get back together and dance and, you know, mingle and, you know, be it, you know, be as one in, in groups. What is the, what is that desire that you have? What's the first thing you're going to want to do? The first thing I want to do is travel somewhere and listen to some live music and sing at the top of my lungs with other people and dance and jump around and bump off of people. I want to be in the mosh pit somewhere in a beautiful country, listening to some incredible music uh, because I really miss, uh, of course, traveling and being somewhere other than my studio or my house. But I also really miss just that interaction and that connectivity that you find through music and, and listening to music. The other thing I really look forward to is getting back to the normal mode of collaborating. You know, I think 
Zoom has been great, being able to use social media to connect. And of course, just FaceTime and phone calling people has been useful. I'm very thankful for it during this time, but nothing measures up to when you can sit in a room and just hang out with somebody and write a song or play music or figure out a chord progression together while one person's singing and you're playing or vice versa. Uh, I really miss that. And I miss that way of working. Uh, and I miss what comes out of that magic between multiple people in the same room. So those are a couple of things that I look forward to. Yeah, I can totally relate. It's the same thing with me and, and fashion shows. I miss being in the room. It's like great theater when you're all in the room together and you're experiencing that moment together. Thank you yeah. so much for taking the time to speak to me. It's been a delight getting to know you and I, and I wish you all success with the upcoming Grammys. It's gonna be amazing, I have no doubt. My pleasure, thanks for having me, great to chat. All right, we're good. I just wanna say, I just interviewed 24 Golden. I am in love with that kid. He is the sweetest, the sweetest guy. I'm, I'm totally enamored by him. So anyway, oversharing, but I, I just literally got off the phone with him. He's super cool. Yeah, good guy, good stuff too, right? Yeah, he seems like he's having a really good time. Whatever might come, he's having a really good time. That's what you like. He's talented. Yeah. Listen, I know you got a lot to do. Thank you so much. And as they say in French, merde, which is, you know, shit, but it means good luck um, for the Grammys. Thank you so much. Good to meet you. Good to meet you. Bye. Don't want to miss an episode of the Oda podcast? All you have to do is download our app in the Apple Store or visit Oda's Spotify account. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. And don't forget to leave a review and tell your friends about the new Oda podcast.